everybody. Bye. <laughs> this is Sarah Westcott. This is Katie Willie. And this is To Be Read. The podcast where we talk about books and the cocktails that go with them. And and, and get drunk. <laughs> yeah, in your closet. <laughs> exactly. Um, so this is our second, uh, how do you say that? Vignette? Vignette <laughs> episode? Vignette, Vignette episode. Yeah. And so we have our special guest back with us, uh, producer extraordinaire, Chris Turo. Hey, Chris, how are you? Hi, everybody. How you guys doing? We're doing all right. Um, how are you doing? I, I know you're a little bit hungover this morning. Yeah, yeah, we, we we had a rough one last night, but you know, otherwise doing okay. You know, it's sunny out today, at least. Yeah, I can see the sun on your face and I don't know, there's yeah. not a lot of sun here no, in upstate New York at the moment. No, Again, in your closet. So yeah. yeah, there's not a lot of sun coming through my closet. But um, so Sim, on your our last episode together, oh. you asked us to read Slaughterhouse Five, um, which is one of your favorite books or your all-time favorite <clears throat> book. Um, mm-hmm. and you also reread along with us. Um, and I guess the best way to start would be a, I guess, um, do you, do you want to start by asking us questions or what do you want to do? Here? Hey, it's your guys' show. I'm, I'm just happy to be here. So you, so, uh, you can take the reins. So why don't I just ask first by, um, I start first by asking Katie what she thought about the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I, oh, I'm, should we yeah, drink? Let's do our yeah. Should we take a sip first. of our cocktail first? Yeah, so I our, forgot about that. Is, hey, also uh, got to do like the synopsis water. and stuff too, right? We got to do that too. Do, do we got to do the synopsis? Okay. Hold on. We're taking a drink of our of our scotch first. I'm scared of this. Okay, is anybody else? All right, hold on. Cheers. Let's go, Sam. Cheers. Yeah, yeah, that'll wake you up. Yeah. <laughs> the water helps. The water helps. It is like oh, some hair oh. hair of the dog up in here this morning. I don't know Do about like that. Bacon a little bit. Do you get like a bacon flavor? Well, ours is a little smoky. I think. Is this what I'm taking? Yeah, it definitely it's definitely a little smoky and. Uh, yeah, did you get like yeah. the the pig's tail scotch? Uh, we got scotch from really my grandma's great. house because I have <laughs> now been given permission to take all of the liquor bottles that are <laughs> forever. Um, and uh, the ones that are open, I'm scared of. So I took a bottle of scotch that was unopened. It was I can't a pretty tell bottle. You how old it is? Yeah. All. But supposedly scotch gets better with age, right? Isn't that's exactly. the rule. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and it's supposed to get less less harsh, I think, as the years go on too. Like it's not supposed to be as mm-hmm. like biting, but I really feel like I have like smoke in my mouth. Yeah. It's, so do I. So do I. it's really weird. All right. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about it like a real breakdown between the generations. You know, like our grandparents used to drink this sort of stuff all the time. And now we're sitting here. And to me, it tastes like lighter fluid, right? Like it's the just same, like really same. <laughs> I've yeah. only had scotch like one other time and I couldn't even get through like a thimble full of it um but no. i think i added enough water in this that i'm not gonna say i enjoy it but i can drink this yeah i mean i'll sip it i'll sip it it'll get me like you know feeling warm and we'll stuff inside warm, yeah <laughs> exactly yeah um definitely. so sim you said about a synopsis why don't you give us the synopsis of this book sure yeah i think the synopsis on this book is actually really simple because as you guys probably notice there's not a ton of like plot in the book but really uh slaughterhouse five follows the story of billy pilgrim a soldier in world war ii who witnesses the firebombing of dresden and in doing so, also uh, somehow becomes unstuck in time and has an experience on, <laughs> on an alien planet um, that kind of yeah. drastically changes the way he thinks about the world and about time. And like, that is the plot. Like, that's it. 
Um, right. right. The, you know, it's not as simple as that because he, as you guys know, he does jump back and forth frequently, even like in the same paragraph, you, yes, you're, I feel like you're never at a loss as to what time period he's in. Cause he does preface it every time he's like, Oh, and now I'm back in 1967 yeah. and Oh, he closed his eyes and he was in, you know, the, the prison in 1944. But that's really, yeah, I mean, that's that's the plot synopsis there. And you don't I miss think, anything? No, I think that was pretty, I think that was pretty um, concise and um, encompassed everything. But um, mm. so as when I started, I just like, I just asked Katie, what did you think about the book? Was there anything in particular like you um, want to bring up? So or? I, I need to, two things. First of all, I feel like you need to explain why you call him Sim because you keep calling him Sim. And I feel like everybody's going to be like, who the fuck should talk Yeah. <laughs> so go ahead and explain that okay chris and i met when i was a junior in college and sim was a freshman in college so you're two years younger than me um we met at uh our job which was um at one of the uh cafeterias on campus and um we hit it off like instantly we started calling each other symbiae because you can't have one without the other, you know, mm-hmm. like that kind of thing. So, and after that, we shortened it to Sim. So that is why you will sometimes hear Chris and I call each other Sim. Yeah. Um, and sometimes other people hear it and they automatically think that's his name. So they'll call him Sim <laughs> as well. That's fine. I, mean, I respond I to everything. Ad- so. I yeah. definitely sort of adopted it occasionally. Yeah, absolutely. I referring to him as that. I don't know that I've ever directly called you that because it's yeah. not right whatever yes so that's just a nerdy thing that has but again that's been almost 20 years and you know going I guess at this point it's about 18 years since we've been calling each other sim so that's just that's his name to me yeah it's far more preferable to what the like my actual cohort nickname was which was sweat and like that one yeah yeah and people still call you that uh, yeah. I don't really talk to many people from those <laughs> from those days anymore. Well, so, but I know some people. I know even Chrissy in our will. in our yeah, Chrissy will sometimes call you sweat, and sh- you call her cheese. But anyway, she hates let's cheese. go back. <laughs> very let's very back. Uh, complicated and uh, deep nicknames I have for people. Oh, you don't like Indeed, cheese? Yes. What's up, cheese? <laughs> yeah, same. Exactly. Exactly. So the second thing I want to say is that it took me. Um, longer than I expected to read this book for being short. Um, I had a hard time wanting to pick it up. I did start to feel like I was doing um, a school assignment, but I am glad to say that I can now proudly say that I have read Slaughterhouse Five. Mm-hmm. But the, one of the most thing, one of the things that I really want to make sure that I share with you guys is that it took me until about um, page 130 uh, before I realized that it was actually his story and he was flashing back in time and mm-hmm. not he was going forward in time and somehow jumping ahead. There was a few times where I was like, how the fuck does he know who he's going to marry? How the fuck does he know who he's going to do this? How-? But I, I mean, literally it took me until page 130 to be like, oh shit, he's telling it backwards. Like, well, he's, I feel he's like he was current. telling it all was, over the place though. Right. But like it had already happened. The war part, I, I took it as the war was now and he was flashing forward to the future oh. because of the time travel right. as opposed to he's now wherever he says he is at that point and he's having flashbacks okay okay i was real confused and all of a sudden it was literally like a dawning moment i was like i'm a yeah. fucking idiot <laughs> all of that time he was just mm-hmm. jumping to forward yeah yeah Whatever. um so for, for me um i think I, I felt the same a little bit in the sense that I did feel like it was like, okay, I was back in school and I, this was something I had to read, like to, to read it, you know, basically. And I didn't not enjoy it. I definitely thought parts were interesting. Um, 
for me, I'm not a super, I don't know if you know if this is the right turn. I'm not always a super cerebral reader while I'm reading stuff. Like most of the time I'm reading stuff and I take it in. And then after I've taken it in, I'll go and be like, okay, what was the symbolism of this? What would, you know, like, I'm not catching on to that stuff as I'm reading, Same. basically. I do not either. That being said, like, while I was reading, I did kind of pick up on the, and and I don't know, I could totally be wrong about this, but as I was reading, I kind of figured that his jumping around in time and the uh, the alien abduction was all a way for him to come to terms with what happened to him in the war. Like it was just a way for him to uh, compartmentalize, you know, kind of like every awful shitty thing that happened in the war. Um, And there were a lot of things that in the book that got me, like hit me hard. Like for instance, the, in, in the beginning when he's meeting with his friend and his wife is pissed off because, you know, he's writing this book about the war and he thinks she's mad at him, but come to find out she's just pissed off because wars aren't fought by adults. They're fought, fought by children, yeah. you know, like, I mean, it goes back to the same thing. Like you can buy, you know, you can fight and die for your country at the age of 18, but you can't sit in a bar and have a drink, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. Like it's, it's awful. War, war is awful. And I mean, we're staring down the barrel of one right now. Like, you know, it's horrifying. Yeah. So that was my thoughts on the book. Like, <clears throat> It wasn't something that I'm like super into, but I understood it and, you know, I enjoyed that part of it. Yeah. So. yeah I would, I think that even, you know, the, the content of the book aside, the way that Vonnegut writes, he does write in a very concise, pretty prompt way. Um, mm-hmm. So like, you know, he's not going to throw like overly verbose and like flowery prose out there. Like, right. He's one of those guys, if he can get a sentence done in five words, then that's all he needs. So like right. reading it is, I would think is relatively easy, but yeah, the content behind it, of course. I mean, you know, this is probably my fourth time reading it through. I did, I started right from the beginning, went all the way through. I hadn't read it in probably, you know, 10 years or so. Um, and the fact that it just feels so incredibly prescient with everything yes. that's going on today, Extremely. which, which, and that's the, that's the one really good thing about great science fiction is that you mm-hmm. can almost always apply it to you know, kind of anything that's going on, right? I'm not going to praise Dune too much, but like Dune is so completely open that that could be about pretty much anything you want it to be. And it still right. is accurate. Right. Um, I, I think it's interesting, the PTSD angle, because I also thought about that, which was something I didn't think about the last time I read it, just because, you know, we all get older and we learn, you, you absorb more things in the culture. So like even a lot of his, like some of his like little jokes that he has in there about, Oh, like, you know, when he's in the hospital and like there's this old guy who like wouldn't stop farting or whatever. Like maybe (laughs) when I read that the first time, I like might have like actually chuckled. But I'm like, I don't know. It just didn't have this. The the funnier things, you know, the the sugar to help the medicine go down um, didn't hit, you know, it didn't hit as hard for me. But it also just could be that I've you know, experience this a little bit, but this whole, the, the, the trail famidorians and like that being a construct that his mind created. Potentially, we don't know. Maybe mm. it could actually be real. <laughs> um, but like that, that he created this whole construct um, to help him cope with the horrors, the un- yeah. unfathomable horrors that he had seen. Right. Um, it's just, it's something I didn't really catch the first time. I mean, obviously, I didn't as- believe that the Trail Famidorians are like a real, you know, the, they right. Exist, but yeah. I but I mean, as you that. get, 
as you get older yeah like yeah as you get older and you start having these experiences in your life and you're Mm -hmm. learning how to cope with certain things like of course sometimes and this this could be the same could be said for reading a book reading a fiction book like you know I when I'm feeling low or feeling you know like things are too much is happening at one time if I sit down and read a book I am center I am Mm -hmm. I center myself I escape a little bit yes so like that's that's how I took that whole part of it like obviously he was a very a deeply unhappy unhappy man from like the experiences he had and like if that helped him cope a little bit you know i mean who are we to judge would, him I for that wonder, i i would i'm curious that, that you say that he's an unhappy man because when i, I read say, the book he's just he's, he's he's just the uh inflatable tube guy outside line. the he's yeah. inflatable tube guy outside the used car lot like right he just he's completely so passive on everything, but that is also probably its own sort of uh, coping habit, right? Because yeah. when he gets into the plane crash and he's in the hospital, I like I didn't have it as one of my selected quotes, but I almost did because it was like one of the things like his mother comes to visit, and every time his mother comes in, he has his blanket over his head, mm-hmm. and he's like explaining, you know, he's saying why Billy does that, and he's just like he's in basically embarrassed that he's just like a little like worm of a son and like he'll just never meet up match his mother's expectations and so he hates her for it and Mm -hmm. it's just like right because like you don't get any indication that he was like abused as a child or anything like that although I guess his his dad does like he dad does a classic toss him in the deep end and I think he actually yeah he like did pass out or something so like all right now that I say that he gets that's sort of abusive yes (laughs) some some traumatic (laughs) stuff but like I would think that you know especially what that would have been in the 1910s or 20s like that's just how people were back then they weren't necessarily concerned about your (laughs) your feelings and how it's going to affect you as an adult Um, yes like we we are painfully obvious now or aware that everything we do has these unknown ripple effects that only time will unlock you know can I can I explain my unhappy like a little bit um I don't know like maybe I was just reading into things a little bit too much but like you know when he's talking about he's he's getting married to this woman that it's very obviously doesn't even care about he doesn't like Mm -hmm. he thinks she's disgusting like I yes like I mean I I don't know I just don't feel like a happy person does something like that does marries just someone someone randomly like that I don't know if it had to do with the fact that you know she was rich her father owned a school that you know Mm -hmm. that he could then teach at or whatever or work at and you know and a happy person doesn't really create a whole world in his I don't know I guess it just doesn't leave the universe and yeah someplace else Mm -hmm. yeah and obviously with his when his daughter you know his daughter's talking to him and and she's kind of you know condescending condescending to him a little bit he just doesn't seem like a, a happy guy maybe not unhappy but he certainly doesn't seem happy to me, you know? Right. So that's, it's, that's my thought. It's, you know, it, it's an interesting thing to think about because, um, you know, when he's on his long trip to when he, after he gets captured and on the way to the prison, he's always, you know, he like talks about like the hobo who's always like, ah, eh, I've had worse things than this. And part of his like passivity is that he does kind of absorb some of the qualities from people around him. Right. So like, yeah, he's like, yeah, I guess this could be a lot worse, right? He thinks that yeah. in his head when he's like stuck in like the upper corner of like a box car and has mm-hmm. to like be like the the piss guy who has to dump out the piss and stuff like, you know, he doesn't, I, from what I recall from reading it, like Vonnegut never says that he's like unhappy. He's like always like smiling. He's like a complete like dopey 
puppy most of the time because I don't think he really thinks about happiness and stuff like that. No, it doesn't seem that because he, you know, after he's been visited and abducted, he knows that he can always return to to like the good times, right? He always he refers to like his honeymoon night that he spent with with poor Valencia, who, <laughs> you know, I understand that Vonnegut might have been trying to be like a little funny by him, like, oh, look at this, you know, fat pig. She can't like stop eating. But like reading that nowadays, just like, oh, that's little, it's, it's gross. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a it's, little it's much. It's, 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 it's not as funny as, you know, you no, no. But like things, of course, things were different in, when he was writing this mm-hmm. book. And like you keep talking about passivity, Sim, and like the one thing that I go back to in, in the book itself and like probably the the most famous three lines in like, or three words in literature, literary history is so it goes, you know, I mean, you're literally talking about a guy who's like, it's passive acceptance, basically like after, like in every Every, paragraph, every time somebody, every time, yes, somebody or something. So it goes question for you. Cause I looked it up because this is where I go with things like this. How many times was it in the book? Oh, I mean, a lot. Uh, I mean, I at, least at, least once page, at least once per page. So probably around 200, I would say. That'd be my guess. Oh. So you don't know either? Okay, Mm-mm. I know something. I looked it up. It's 106. I 106. actually thought it was going to be more than that. I thought it was much closer to like once a page. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that's not that much. And then I think I looked it up about halfway through because I was just curious yeah. to know if there was a count. I mean, that's, that's half, that's in half of the book, basically, you know, like, so yeah. So every other page basically has, so it goes on it. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I do just love that um, with the, so it goes, you know, how he like applies it to just every single thing he writes, you know, Mm -hmm. oh, we had to grind up these coffee beans and now the coffee husks are dead. So it goes. Right. Exactly. It's It's literally everything. And it. It's just like his acceptance of literally everything, you know, and I guess that's another thing. Like he just doesn't seem, I don't know. He doesn't seem to have strong emotions in any way. In any capacity, basically. Yeah. Yeah. You you might be right about that. Okay. That makes sense to me. I'm sure you guys have a couple quotes and this isn't going to follow the normal format, but I just have one right here that I have right off the bat on page three. Um, this is the author, which I don't know if it's actually supposed to be Vonnegut or just a Vonnegut type, because Vonnegut was in World War II. He right. did end up being in Dresden during the firebombing. So I don't know how like literally to take some of this stuff, because he also like kind of breaks the fourth wall in here in a couple points, too. Right. Right. Because he was like, oh, I was there. I said that weird yes. thing in the background. Yeah. All right. Here's a quote. Over the years, people I've met often ask me what I'm working on. And I usually replied, the main thing was a book about Dresden. I said that to Harrison Starr, the movie maker, one time. And he raised his eyebrows and inquired, is it an anti-war book? Yes, I said, I guess. You know what I say to people when I hear they're writing anti-war books? No. What do you say, Harrison Starr? I say, why don't you write an anti-glacier book instead? What he meant, of course, was there would always be wars, that they were as easy to stop as glaciers. I believe that, too. And even if wars didn't keep coming like glaciers, there would still be plain old death. So wow. when we talk about being passive, right? I, I right, that's a very, like when I like read that just as on this recent thing, I like had to flag that immediately Yeah, because it is, that's the through line through the whole book, right? I think that this whole, the entire book is like, how do you deal with um, not only the unknown, but like, the, the knowns that you that we know will happen right there right. will be exactly inevitability will be war we mm-hmm. will 
die. People you know are going to die. And it's like, how do you, especially seeing something, and I know that, you know, Nagasaki and Hiroshima were the big, you know, obviously the big headlines of, you know, destruction in World War II. But for the fact that 130,000 people were basically killed instantly in Dresden, like how could you even fathom like living after that? Mm-hmm. Right. And, so, and he always frames that with like all the beautiful things in the city too. And that it was not a war city, right. It was, it was not even supposed to be a target and just no, yeah. turned into the, the surface of the moon as he calls just it. Just was raised. Yeah. Basically completely raised. So that actually happened. It did happen. Yes. This is, this is, this is my history. Coming out right <laughs> yeah all the stuff about that he has in here about world war ii is is fairly accurate um i know that a lot of the different characters because i didn't do a ton of research for this i wanted to just i didn't want to come armed with a bunch of facts i am yeah. armed with a lot of feelings <laughs> we're not we're not very um, factual on this podcast no, we just... <laughs> counts. yeah um but like you know there's various characters that he like he created like there's that one like general or the air force guy towards the end of it um, I am, I did want to know if that, you know, they have like the American Nazi guy who's doing like all the propaganda, yes, which yeah. like that, when he like writes through those missives, I mean, you want to talk about stuff that's still relevant today. Absolutely. Uh, some of those, yeah. they're a little too long for a quote, but like, if anyone hasn't read it, you should really read some of them. But like, I want to know if that guy was real because that certainly would, seems like that, something yeah. that has happened or Absolutely. not in a famous instance. Absolutely. There had to have been sorts of those defector scumbags. <laughs> yeah. Defector. Uh, yeah. Love it. <laughs> could be a love com- it. it could also just be a compilation of anything, yeah. you know, I'll just mm-hmm. put it into one character. Yeah. Yeah. Just basically like how movies do with, you know, characters and books yeah. and stuff. Right. But um, yeah, uh, I did not actually flag any quotes. It was just basically the, the thing that I took away from it was mm-hmm. that thing that I had talked about. Um, I think her name was Mary, the, the, uh, the wife. Oh, hang on. I did flag something. What is it? Yeah. Mary O'Hare, um, I believe her name is. Okay. Yeah. So this, and yes, and this is that passage where, um, then she turned to me, let me see how angry she was and that the anger was for me. She had been talking to herself. So what she said was a fragment of a much longer conversation. You were just babies. Then she said, what I said, you were just babies in the war, like the ones upstairs. I nodded that this was true. We had been foolish virgins in the war right at the end of childhood, but you're not going to write it that way. Are you? This wasn't a question. It was an accusation. I, I don't know. I said, well, I know. She said, you'll pretend you were men instead of babies and you'll be played in the movies by Frank Sinatra and John Wayne or some of those other glamorous war loving, dirty old men and war will look just wonderful. So we'll have a lot more of them and they'll be fought by babies like the babies upstairs. So like that, just like, I don't know. That just got me. I was like, Oh yeah. Jesus Christ. I mean, we're it's, it's extremely true. Yes. You don't get a choice to be drafted. No. Yeah. Not old when you're drafted. No, no. Back when this war yeah. was happening and the Vietnam War, you know, like, mm-hmm. thankfully, that doesn't happen anymore, at least in this country. You know, I it, and it's not so it's not hard to believe that it's something that could happen again in the future with just the way that things are, you know, so yeah, it's and a terrifying I know, thought. I, I know you guys aren't big history people, and I'm not going to say I'm an expert on this by any means. But like, if you kind of like read what the actual like the Children's Crusade, it was a real thing that happened. And he does provide a little mm-hmm. bit of historical context in the beginning that they, you know, 
but like the whole idea of the crusades right we're going into the, <laughs> we're going into the middle east from all parts of europe and we're going there to convert and everybody gonna, christianity yeah <laughs> and it's like how in the fact that you got down to using children as part of that is just like so incomprehensible like to um i mean I would say a modern mind, but like, to me, it's like, why would that makes zero sense? Like, why would you even yeah. do that? And you can extrapolate yeah. that to just war in general, right? Like, why I was would just going to say, yeah, like, what is the, the yeah. And I, I know we certainly talk about, you know, as a nation, we discuss this in our current events right now. Like why, why is Vladimir Putin like doing this? Why is yeah. he potentially going to like ruin his own country and, right. you know, mo- is it seems more and more likely potentially kicking off World War Three for what exactly? You just like want more terrorists, you want like more it. land. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you, yeah. You're on like a big trophy hunt and you're just like trying to get like a big, big lion right now. Like what is it seems I so decided he's been crazy. playing the longest game of risk and he finally decided yeah. that he needed to actually <laughs> in his real life. Right. As opposed to just playing a board game. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like if you if you look back at just war in general, every every war that has been fought has been about mostly one of two things. It's about power and it's about religion. And I and like that's that to me is one of the things like we you know, we talk about religion often because I just, you know, whatever. But um, I, I just I can't understand like how religious people can justify the violence and like hurt that is caused when when we're fighting wars based on that you know what i mean like i, I just it's something that just that's one of those things that i just can't wrap my mind around yeah. and one of the main reasons why i don't mm-hmm. partake in it you know so yeah i had i think i scared you guys last week because i had texted you like oh better bust out your bibles i got some religious talk <laughs> coming in but really the only, and the only thing i had mentioned was that um you know, if, if you just read the Sermon on the Mount, which, you know, you could go to Wikipedia. I'm sure if you did happen to look it up, you're like, oh, yeah, this is very familiar because it's like one of the most Correct. famous. Yes. It's like one of Jesus's most famous teachings. Um, and the interesting thing about Vonnegut is that I think, you know, if you look it up, he's not he's not a religious person, but I think he still like believes in the teachings of Christ, sure. yeah. um, which is like a weird thing to say. But then if you like read the Sermon on the Mount, it's just like it's what I would consider just like common sense stuff, right? Like be nice to your neighbor because, you know, you would want someone to be nice to you. If someone, if someone injures you, it's probably a better idea to just not retaliate. It's better to just accept it. And I mean, whatever, there's obviously a lot of forgiveness and yeah, whatever about forgiveness and stuff. And it's like, if you try to, yeah. And Vonnegut was disgusted by that as well. That is like, that is the core teachings. And yet you see like what it led to. And it leads mm-hmm. to crusades where children are used as soldiers. And it That's leads like to time and time again. Endpoint. Yeah, it's a logical endpoint of that if you're gonna kind of think about it like that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's frustrating. It's very frustrating. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you know, I'm not a Christian person, but of course, I hold some. I hold beliefs that some might consider, you know, Christian beliefs. Of course. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a moral, but those human, are moral human things, yeah. not in my mind, religious. And, and because, and because honesty, God tells me I need to, you, you know, hold them 
more true than than a lot of religious people correct yes correct and their values that Um, go beyond christianity too i'm sure if you you know i don't study the torah or the quran or anything but i am almost guaranteed they have probably very similar lessons in that of just like absolutely a decent person yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) yeah don't be evil yeah all right i got a couple more quotes here go for it we're not gonna have a long episode or a longer episode We've had a very nice discussion thus far. I'm really enjoying this discussion. So continue. (laughs) This one's on page 19. It is so short and jumbled and jangled, Sam, because there's nothing intelligent to say about a massacre. Everybody's supposed to be dead, to never say anything or want anything ever again. Everything is supposed to be very quiet after a massacre. And it always is, except for the birds. And what do the birds say? All there is to say about a massacre. Things like booty wheat. I've told my sons that they are not under any circumstances to take part in massacres and that the news of massacres of enemies is not to fill them with satisfaction or glee. I have also told them not to work for companies which make massacre machinery and to express contempt for people who think we need machinery like that. I like that, I like that too. I mean, it's that just goes back to like the Second Amendment thumper you know crazy people that kind of thing yeah you did and the whole book ends on that bird sound too doesn't it yeah yeah i mean yeah because that's that's what will be left is Mm -hmm. bird song you know yeah so we you know that one hits a little that one always hits hard because we're seeing this again with with the stuff going on ukraine and russia where if you listen to people on cnn and msnbc even ostensibly liberal ish type media outlets they're, they got people on there banging the drum for war right now. There's, there's no, there's like no like alternative in their eyes. It's like, we have mm-hmm. to go to war to stop this. And there are and hawks like, on both sides, you know, yeah. like. Mm-hmm. Oh, for yeah. sure. Oh yeah, definitely. Democrats are not, uh, <laughs> Republicans do not have a monopoly on wanting no, for sure. to kill people. But mm-hmm. then you need to like really consider like what war means, right? And it's easy for the person pushing the button in Washington to be Absolutely. like, well, we got to do this, whatever. Absolutely, we got to order yeah. this drone strike. But then, like, you know, I'm sure you guys have probably seen it. Just, like, stuff on the ground in Ukraine because people can film things now. And just, like, mm-hmm. I've been reading a lot of, like, reports, dispatches from there. And just, like, I don't know how we as Americans would deal with with something like that if somehow Canada decided that they wanted to take the U.S. over, right? Do you think that they would be all this <laughs> bonhomie be between so neighbors and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Or would it and taking it to heart and yeah. you can't do this. I'm an American. Mm-hmm. And but you I wouldn't think... have like the coalescing of like people are, I mean, I'm sure you would in certain neighborhoods, but there would not be like a nationwide unity, I don't think. It would right. in this just our not here. Our nation no is way. so stupid that it would somehow be like. I don't know, like Republicans would side with the Canadians or something. Like it, would be, it would be a thing. It would just be a thing like that. And like, yeah, you wouldn't, yeah. I doubt you would see a, like neighbors helping one another. Like I said, maybe on like a very localized level, right? Like on My your street, you would, <laughs> right. On, on your street or on your block, like you would probably have something we'd have the house with the vodka we'd have the mm-hmm. house with the chips and the <laughs> we'd have the house with the beer <laughs> yeah all right i got one more quote from the book here page 26 when a trail famidorian dies sees a corpse all he thinks is that the dead person is in bad condition in that particular moment but that the same person is just fine in plenty of other moments now when i myself hear that somebody is dead i simply shrug and say what the trail famidorians say about dead people which is so it goes Mm-hmm. 
So I liked, uh, there was a lot of things about them that I did like. Um, and, and the trail fam Yeah. And I kind <laughs> yeah. of like the they fact rule. that he pulled them, that. Honestly. Yeah. The, that he pulled that quote from them. I didn't, I didn't remember that, that it came from mm-hmm. them. Um, I actually, the one of the only quotes that I marked was about them. Um, there are no telegrams on Trafamador. Trafamador. <laughs> That's not bad. Mm-hmm. But you're right. Each clump of symbols is a brief, urgent message describing a situation, a scene. We Trafamordians <laughs> read them all at once, not one after the other. There isn't any particular relationship between all the messages, except that the author has chosen them carefully, so that when seen all at once, they produce an image of life that is beautiful and surprising and deep. There is no beginning, no middle, no end, no suspense, no moral, no causes, no effects. What we love in our books are the depths of many marvelous moments seen all at one time, which I didn't until just reading it now, but that can very easily describe this book. It's not, there's no time, there's no cause for it. It's mm-hmm. just, it kind of just flows and it just happens. It's and almost like take a step back. It's much easier to enjoy than each paragraph on its own. Yeah. It's almost like he took his like, almost <laughs> like mor- morality from, from this, uh, you know, species of people almost, you know what I mean? Like yeah, this weird, creepy zoo where they watch. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, morality like, is like, what yeah, all, like what, a, what a subjective thing or whatever, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we do that shit to be the thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. I, the one big thing I noticed is that this, to me, the entire book operates on dream logic, right? Like there's no, there's not really a straight through line. Like there is kind of, it does, you know, essentially start and then it ends. But like all the time you're seeing recurring, you're seeing recurring themes, uh, blue and ivory feet, mustard and roses comes up all the time, mm-hmm. uh, spoons, right? Like you get, people are always spooning and um, the way that he, you know, even from page to page is just constantly bopping around in time with no context. And he has no idea where he is or what he's doing until right. he until gets he's, his bearing. Yeah. And then the mm-hmm. next thing you know, it's it's gone and you never revisit that again. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I think I could easily sit and like if I ever were to be some sort of psychopath and get like a PhD in English or something, I could, this would be the book that I would choose because to me, everything is perfectly layered. Almost everything can and does relate to the other things he talks about. Right. Like in terms of symbolism, like I know I had, I had also uh, threatened you guys earlier. I was like, I got a PhD and I got a TED talk ready to go. Today. <laughs> um, but I don't, I definitely um, pulled back on that a little bit. So but in it's... that whole, on that topic, I, I did write down, um, I must've been about halfway through and there's so many different paragraphs and they jump all over the place, but there is still chapters. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't, I could not really determine what the point of the chapter breaks was. There didn't seem to be any kind of logic mm-hmm. behind when they broke. No. Um, I think that's just prose, honestly. It's like, like, it's like, you like need a. To have chapters in your book. You can't just have 200 page. I would guess it was his editor or publisher was like, hey, I love this, up. but <laughs> yeah, we yeah. need to have some way to, like, yeah, break it up a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Right. People want to stop reading. They want to know when to stop reading. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, anything, anything else that you want to say, Sim, before we wrap up? I mean, this was a really fantastic conversation on a book have, that I have one more thing to say too, but we'll let him go first. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I just have the, I mean, kind of going back to my thesis that like, this is, this is just a book about trying to understand the inexplicable and the unfathomable. Mm-hmm. I did ask you guys the other day, if you'd ever seen a movie called first reformed, 
um, which came out in 2018. It's actually about the first reformed church in Steubenville. It like okay. takes place in Albany County. It's like, right that's kind of funny. Also. Yeah. And did you notice that there was a lot of Schenectady in this book? Yeah, yeah there was. Yeah, and, Ilium. G-E yeah. and yeah, mm-hmm. I freaking love it. I absolutely yeah. loved it. Yeah. Um, but with, was with it, first... can I ask a quick question? I'm yeah, sorry, Sam. Sure. Is he, I didn't even look him up. Is he like, is he an upstate New Yorker, Kurt Vonnegut? Was he? I'm not sure. Um, but, I mean, was it, I just was curious as to why he chose like fucking East Bumble, New York, you know, like not many people really know much about. Right. Sandy and like, who and, knows anything about Ilium either? Yeah. Like, and he's met, yeah, he's mentioning Buffalo an awful lot. So maybe he's, you know, Western New York or something like that. But um, he Katie, died in Manhattan. He was born in Indianapolis. Okay. Indianapolis. Okay. Right. I was, I was going to say that he, that makes sense. Um, right, so at some that, point he turned into, he came, he came to New York at some point, but I'm sorry, yeah. Sam, I didn't mean to he cut went, you off. Um, he went but to, he went to Cornell. Oh, okay. I think, yeah. All right. Okay. I feel like it mentioned that in the book. Yeah. Um, all right, go, go back to your thesis. It's all good. So, (laughs) so like, uh, first reformed, it's about this, this priest who has like a a serious crisis of faith, which is spurred on because he was asked to talk to a, a guy who's having like, you know, he's very distressed. And it turns out that this guy is like a, he's about our age. Um, but he is like a climate activist, like really Mm -hmm. super concerned about, you know, the future of the world. He, his wife is pregnant. He's like, how do you bring in a child into this world? And the priest who's played by Ethan Hawke, it's absolutely incredible. Highly recommended. This is his quote when talking about this. It's like, courage is the solution to despair as reason provides no answers. I can't know what the future will bring. We have to choose despite uncertainty. Wisdom is holding two contradictory truths in our mind simultaneously, hope and despair. A life without despair is a life without hope. And holding these mm-hmm. two ideas in our head is life itself. Personally, I like that's the deep. reason provides no answers, right? Because that's, yeah. mm-hmm. he doesn't, in, in the book, there are no answers, right? His answer is just to hakuna matata it, right? Basically, yeah. right. I'm going to just spend my mental energy remembering the good times because there's nothing I can do to change the to future. Change yeah. 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 And, you know, obviously in our lives, the future is not fixed. We can do things to change it. But even him knowing that this Paul Lazaro guy is going to kill him in a very weirdly science future <laughs> America in the 19, what was it like the 1970s or something? Yeah. 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 The, the geodesic dome over the Cubs stadium. <laughs> it's like yeah. He, he knew that he was going to be killed by this man when he had it, like he could have snuffed him out in world war two if he really wanted right. to. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah. he like somehow respects this law of destiny. Mm-hmm. That he is just that from the truck. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I know we are wrapping up. Um, one of the, I love that. So Kilgore trout is the author, the very disreputable, yeah, like, really filthy scumbag. He, yeah. he is a, yes, he's a long recurring character in many of Vonnegut's books. He, he I, re- I did up, read that. Really? Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. He pops up all the time in them. Uh, in Breakfast of Champions, he's referred to having a penis like a tuna can, which was the first time I'd ever <laughs> read that as a, in high school. I thought it was very funny. Um, so like, I, I love all his, his, like his little stupid books that are apparently like the best things that are, they're horribly written, but they just have really good ideas. And the one that he had about, um, of Christianity, and that like the, the, the kind of the summation of the lesson was that like, you can't crucify somebody who's connected. I like thought that mm-hmm. was very funny. He's like, next yeah, time right. you're going to crucify the son of God, make sure he's a nobody. 
<laughs> right exactly yeah 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 that's a good point but yeah it, didn't it come back that they brought it out like he it, he was quote-unquote nobody and then the mm-hmm. son of god was or then god was just like oh no he's mine yeah he's my son yeah, yeah thank you up. yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> you done fucked up yeah. <laughs> yeah. um so okay the last thing i have one thing that is completely off topic and mm-hmm. it just it literally made me laugh out loud is when he's laying in that hospital in vermont and in the the roomford guy is next mm-hmm. to him and and then all of a sudden he chimes in and he's just like, I was there. Uh, he call, he says, he's got echolalia now. And I'm like, I've never fucking heard of that. <laughs> and then it immediately says echolalia is a mental disease, which makes people immediately repeat things that well people around them say. And I laughed out loud because I immediately diagnosed Eric as having echolalia. <laughs> he'll just randomly like be in the room and you'll have be in mid conversation and you'll say one thing and all of a sudden he's spewing it right back at you. And you're like, yeah. what? like we're... Yeah, what? he's so. Bizarre. You diagnose your child like after yeah. reading a Kurt Vonnegut yep. book. I love it. It's really it funny. A mental disorder, but that's I, funny. It, you know, it's hilarious way. So that's yeah. Um, that's kind of. So I just want to like I, I just I, I also wrote down bitchy flibberty gibbet because he refers to his daughter. Yeah. Oh yes, yes, that yes. That was pretty funny too. Yeah, yeah. Um. So basically, I just want to wrap up by saying I really enjoyed this. This kind of experiment this was an experiment yes. for our first yes. and i mm-hmm. and i absolutely want to do it again 100 percent. um i not with this one again i, yeah. <laughs> I want you to obviously surprise you know come come back on we'll have you on again of this course. is gonna be a more frequent thing um and uh Maybe you know want a little less exactly current topics of what's happening in the world <laughs> that's the way he did that's the way he thinks so that's so he's like oh this is you know this is something that matters right now yeah but and i feel like you picked it before an actual war i did yeah i truly just i just that love, is true i i love this book so much and having reread it i realized that i probably based a lot of my own worldview on this book because oh, sure. i read it when i was you know, it was very influential at the time because I was so pretty young, right? I was a teenager. And yeah. just, you know, the book is, I know when our conversation with all this kind of heavy stuff, the book is fairly lighthearted, right? I mean, it has mm-hmm. this yeah. almost flip way of talking about absolutely people who die in like this horror because it's just like, so it goes, you know, poor Edgar yes. Derby was shot trying to steal a teapot. So it yeah. goes. So it goes. Yeah. You know, the worst people and the best people are all, you know, homogenized. But he was in the that one way. that was a jerk, anyways, right? Which no, one? Edgar Edgar Derby was like the older guy who was like taking he was the one who died, him. right? Yeah. Like, yeah, he got shot in Dresden. In Dresden, yes, he was with the firing squad, or right. yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, we didn't talk about Roland Weary, who's just a really awful guy, Jerk. and you're like yeah. kind of happy. You're kind of happy. Who was to the see. guy that like did the thing to the dog, right? No, that was with the, the guy who ended up killing Billy. That's Paul Lazaro. Yeah. Oh. But yeah, he's also, I mean, just a really wretched, despicable person, right? And the fact I remember very vividly remember that scene from the first time I read it. And it's like, oh my God, like I know that Vonnegut didn't just invent this himself. Like people right, 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 right. all the time. Yes. To get rid of- he must have heard a story along the way at some <clears throat> point and put this in, into his book. And like it's a true thing that happened. But um okay so i think we're probably we're probably going a little long at this moment but um i enjoyed this conversation thoroughly and sim i appreciate you coming on again with us of course yeah happy Um, to talk about it and we will definitely do this again. So um, uh, everybody follow us on Twitter and Instagram at to be read pod and find out when the next one is going to come up and yes. uh, we will uh, see you next time. Yes. When we make your two book to be read pile, the scotch is <laughs> to make your, when we make your to be read pile, one book shorter. Bye everybody. Bye. Okay. Bye.
To Be Read is hosted by Sarah Westcott and Katie Willey. Produced, edited, and mixed by Chris Turrow. Logo concept art by Rhiannon Kenfield. Graphic design by Steve Pius. Theme song, Read to Me, written and performed by Austin Maffa.